of the Heavenly Father here? Yes. See, God's joy should always be one of the things that reflects from our lives, right? And never for one, never for a moment fail to think or fail to understand that you are deeply loved, that you are made alive in Him, and that His desires, that His joy may be completed in each one of you. Right? So every moment that you walk, every breath that you breathe, always remember that there is a purpose behind it. And the purpose is you and I becoming more like the Father that we have in heaven. Right? So once again, welcome to each one of you and thank you for choosing to be here. It is a difficult task. So bless your neighbor and just tell them you did a good job coming here. You did a good job. Mr. President, thank you for coming here. Hi guys up there, thank you for coming. Huh? It's good. It's good and it's pleasant when brothers dwell together in unity. Amen? Amen. Don't ever try to run away from fellowship. Don't ever try to avoid gathering together. Always look forward to an opportunity where you can come before him and be as one family that we are in Christ. Amen? So, I've been given this opportunity to come before you and share something that uh, I believe God wants each one of us to take up on a personal level, on, uh, on uh, whether it be physically, whether it be emotionally, spiritually, mentally, but let's take it up personally, alright? You see, um, I, I want to start off with one of the difficult questions or a tricky question, okay? How many of you have heard this phrase, what would Jesus do? Have you used that in your life? Have you ever heard that, Josh? No? What would Jesus do? If he was in my place, what would he do? Would he forgive them? Maybe, but I'm not Jesus. Would he slap them? No, but I'm not Jesus, so I will. Would he avoid them? No, but I'm not Jesus, so I can. But the thing is, what would Jesus do is one of the examples or one of the simple ways where we can take up living a personal or a practical life of faith. Right? But that's not my topic. My topic is, how many of you now believe that when two or three gather, Jesus is there with them? Amen. I'm, I'm pretty sure the smiles are going down in the room. Now, if two or three are gathered and Jesus is there with them, how many of you would rejoice if Jesus actually physically walked in, took this mic, and started talking about you? Now, that's a nervous laugh. You see, we are grateful that when two or three are gathered, Jesus is there, but it's only till Jesus actually shows up. Why? Because Jesus knows our hearts, Jesus knows our thoughts, Jesus knows our actions, Jesus even knows our ill intentions, our good intentions. What if he walks into this room, takes this mic away from me, and starts saying, hey, I know what you did yesterday or last week and you haven't repented of it yet. I know that you are doing a lot of things in the name of Jesus. But I don't see that action throughout the week. 
What if he walked in physically and started saying, started talking just like he did with the Gentiles and the multitude? He was blunt with them. He took he, his, his profound, and I think one of the harshest words is always against the, the uh, what do we say, the, the, the people who thought they were doing good. The Pharisees. I said, you think you're doing good. But I can open up every book and I can tell you you're not doing. Is it a scary thought? If Jesus physically walked into this place and he started preaching, would you be scared? Because I, I cannot read your thoughts. I don't know what you've done before. But if he stands here in my place physically and he has the mic in hand, I would be praying to him, let it not be me. Why? Because my book would be open before the entire congregation. And that's going to happen one day. You know that? In the book of Revelation, he says, once you stand before the throne of judgment, everything written in the book about each one of us will be made public, accessible to anyone and everyone who's standing there. Jesus is not someone you fool around with. Jesus is not someone you take lightly. Jesus is not someone that you take for granted. He is God, and if he starts speaking, the entire world will listen. But we as Christians, somewhere down the line, a few years later, we build up the audacity to think that he's not going to speak. But he is. I want you to take a minute and evaluate, just a quick evaluation. If Jesus stands here and he talks about your last week, would you be able to see him eye to eye or would your head be hanging down in shape? Each one of us, including the leaders, I'm sorry President, including all the worship team members, including myself. If we forget, the, forget my 31 years, if we just talk about my last week, would I be able to see him eye to eye and say, I made him proud? What would Jesus say if he walked in? It's all good. It's all nice when we talk about grace. But that grace will one day cease and the judgment will begin. Just because we're living in the grace period doesn't mean that there's no judgment This was something that we have been talking with the youths and some of the cell groups in Baroda. And, and it has been hitting us hard. The scriptures, the book of Romans, the book of uh, Micah, the book of Amos, it, we are being hit with a hammer over and over again. And the small groups have been forced to evaluate forced to self-check the inventory, forced to look into what are we doing that define us as Christians. 
And if those things are not rightly defined by God, then it's all just a religion and not a relation. I want to lead you to the book of Romans chapter 2. There will be scripture reading. Okay? I want you personally to start reading. I'll give you two minutes. It won't take long. Read Romans chapter 2, verses 17 to 24 right away. Romans 2, 17 to 24. Alright? Indeed, you are called a Jew. I hope you have that with you. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law and are confident that you, you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness and instructed to the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge of the truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach one another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make up your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. This was a very difficult read for us. Jews were a group of people who were following, or at least trying to get close to God by following the law. Alright? They tried to do everything by the book. And by doing everything by the book, they felt that they were good, and the rest of the people were just useless. Alright? They felt that what they were doing was pleasing God, and apart from them, no one else would be able to please God. Now, this book, this segment, talks critically for all the people who walk by the law, who walk by the religion, who walk by the book. And it still shows us that because of you, verse 24, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now this is not a verse that I would want to be read for me. This should not be the verse that I would want any of you to be known for. You and I, we should not be the reason why God's name is blasphemed amongst the non-believers in any possible case. You and I, we should not be the reason why someone stops from believing in God. You and I should not be the reason why someone would fail to approach God. Jews were doing everything right, according to them. But he says, well, you're doing everything right, but you're keeping people away from coming to God. You're ridiculing his name. And he goes on to verse 25 and 26. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? This is a whole lot confusing. So they say you are following the law of circumcision, but then you break other laws. Did you not just nullify the law of circumcision because you're doing all the unlawful things? And then he goes on to prove and he goes on to speak, say that, hey, those who are uncircumcised, but still they are pleasing God with their righteousness, are they now not considered to be circumcised? 
Why? Because Jews have the mentality just because they have sacrificed, just because they are circumcised, they are right by God. I'm here to let you know that there is a big difference between a religion and a relation. A religion is something that you do to please God. A relationship is something that you enjoy with God. Many of us now are today very occupied with doing something to please God rather than enjoying His fellowship. Rather than enjoying being, spending time with the Heavenly Father. With the helper that is the Holy Spirit. With the friend that we have in Jesus. Now, things of Christianity has become a by-the-book case rather than a by-the-relation. In this scripture, Apostle Paul is going to give us some marks of a dead or an empty religion, and then he's going to give us the examples of a real relationship. So firstly, let's go into the empty religious concept. What are the signs of someone who's following an empty religion? Okay, someone who's following or living a religious life rather than uh, uh, a relational life. Okay? So if back then there were two different groups, one was the Jews and the other were the Greeks. And if people ask them, what are you? They would say, hey, I'm a Jew. And today many of us, we go by that same characteristic. If someone asks, hey, what, who are you? What faith? We will say, hey, I'm a Christian and I belong to maybe Methodist or I belong to uh, a Protestant church or, uh, or, or an AG church or Pentecostal or Seventh-day or Catholic. We go by denominations. Right? But we don't go by our relation with the Father. No one asks us or no one out in the outside world knows what denominations are in Christianity. But we do. And we hold those denominations and those titles so dear to us that we forget it was the relation with the Father that created the church, not the denominations. What are you holding on to? What do you say when someone asks you who you are? Do you tell them that you're a Christian who's loved by a Heavenly Father? Or you tell them, well, I'm a member of PSU, I have a, a, a church back home, and there I'm a Baptist, or I'm, I'm a Protestant, or I'm a Pentecost. What do you tell them? How, what is your identity? Do you have an identity in Christ, or is your identity something that is superficially made on it? Marks of, a, of someone who's following a religion would be from verse 17 to verse 24. That's why we read that first. Look, look at verse 17. Indeed, you are called a Jew and, and rest on the law and make your boast in God. All right? Would you be able to highlight that part, make your boast in God? If you have your Bibles with you, circle that. Or if you have a marker, highlight it. Right? One of the signs of a, a religious mentality, they would be proud. They will be proud. They will always say, hey, look at me. Keep your eyes on me. I'm doing this. Can you see it? This is how I lead. This is how I sing. This is how I serve. This is how I speak. And it all comes back to them. They say, make your boast in God. A religious person, they will be practicing godly habits. But their intention won't be to please God. They will practice godly habits because they want the world to see them. Alright? 
So as Christians, when you come to church or when you gather for fellowship or family prayers, when you lift your hands and sing, when you kneel down to worship, when you cry in the, in the presence of God, is it so that someone would see you? Or is it so that God would see it and he will be pleased at you? What is the intention of you and I coming to church? What is the intention of you and I reading the scriptures? What is the intention of you and I leading the intercession or leading the worship or leading the press? What is the intention behind it? If your heart says so that I will be seen, then we are in a big wrong. If the intention of coming to church is so that you, you may be able to see someone or someone will be able to see you, there's a big problem. It's a big problem if the intention of coming to church would be the focus be you rather than the focus be God. Dress well, absolutely. Look at your finest, absolutely. But if you're coming to church, it's just the reason why you dress well so that people will appreciate you. It's a big problem. You and I, we come to church not to look at others or, let, or force people to look at us. You and I, when we come to church, our eyes always should be on the Abba Father. It should not be look at me. Should we look at him? Look at him. He's the hope of glory. He's our Lord and Savior. He's the King of Kings. He's the wise counselor. He's the person who gives me the wisdom and discernment. He's the one who heals us. When you rejoice, make sure all praise and all glory and attention rises to God. When we are here, would it be okay if you go back unnoticed? Or would you be hurt if no one noticed you? Difficult questions today, okay? But none of you should go back with this thought that, okay, what we are doing or what we think we are doing is right. And if it is good, then continue growing in it. But if it's not of God, I would say walk away from it and start practicing what is actual righteousness of Christ. Right? So firstly, if, you, if any of us, we have pride in our lives, and how do we identify that? If we are drawing attention to us, that's the sign of a proudful person. Now if I am a proud person, if you, whoever's listening, is a proud person, I would humbly request you, get rid of it. Okay? Church is not about me. Church is not about you. Church is about God and it has always been. Right? You make the church. You are the church. But you are not the focus of the church. The focus of the church was always God, His Word and the Holy Spirit. And if any of us are deteriorating or differentiating ourselves from that, we say that, no, it should be me. You remember the last time someone tried to challenge God's attention? They were cast out. It's not us. We unitedly have the entire attention of God. We personally have the entire attention of God. You have the attention of God. Now, why do you need the attention of man? Hello? 
You have the attention of God. So why are you trying to draw attention of man to you? Why are you trying to draw attention of someone who's sitting next to you? Why are you trying to please someone just because you think that they should be pleased? If, if you think you come to church just because you want to see someone or that someone sees you, the entire motivation or the root behind coming to church is flawed. And that needs to be fixed. Amen? Are you okay? Next, verse 21. It says, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you not steal? The second sign of, a, of someone who's in a dead religion, they will be hypocrites. I know these are all hard statements, but bear with me. Okay? Hypocrites. You know what hypocrites mean? In the, in the uh, what do we say, in the previous times, there used to be dramas and enactments like we have movies now. They used to have performances, all right? And people would perform dramas. They would put up a mask on them and they would be called hypocrites. Why? Because they are becoming someone who they are not just for the entertainment of people. Seems familiar? Sunday to Sunday we put on a mask. We come here. When do we have family meetings? Tuesday? Wednesday? Tuesday, we put on a mask. We gather here or somewhere. Worship practice, intercession, we put on a mask. We gather. We walk away. We read the scriptures. We put on a mask. We put on a mask. We put on a mask. If any of us are putting on a mask that comes off the moment you are away from the body of Christ, know that you are living a hypocrite life. What does that mean? I'm giving you two examples. The very first one. If you have two sets of vocabulary and you use your vocabularies according to the people you are with, you're a hypocrite. Now what does that mean? That means if you come to church on Sunday or you gather for fellowship and you're all about, hi, praise the Lord, how, how good is our God? But then there's another group of friends and then the entire vocabulary changes. Now, who's that? <laughs> Second example. You meet fellow brethren, you meet fellow believers, and you talk about faith. You talk about prayers. You talk about commitment. You encourage them to read the scriptures, to read the Bible, to pray, to get into fellowship. But when it comes down to you and you're not able to do it, who's that? Come on, who's that? So, are we called as hypocrites or are we called as church? We should be called as church, not hypocrites. We talk about people and we tell people to sacrifice for God. But when it comes about you to sacrifice for God, what do you do? When someone is not sinning as you are sinning, we are quick to judge, hey, hey, I don't do that, but hey, that was messed up. Dear friends, a murder is a sin, but lying is also a sin. There's no partiality. So you tell them, hey, they're sleeping with someone, but you, you are, you should, you are carrying lying, spirit of lying in you. What's the big deal? They are a sinner, so are you, hypocrites. We think some sins weigh more. Nah, -uh. 
all sins weigh the same. Just because they acted foolish, there were moments where you acted foolish too. But you received grace, now show them the same grace and bring them back in. Enough of hypocrisy in the house of God. The Spirit of God does not promote hypocrisy. You put on a Sunday mask, no. You put on the righteousness of God and you walk through the seven days of the week, not just on Sundays. If you have boldness and guts to worship here, you should have that same boldness and guts to worship back in your room, to worship back in your home, to worship during your exams, to worship even if you don't get a job. The Spirit of God is the same. But we put up a show and God is tired of the show. Hypocrites will not enter the kingdom of God. But a repented heart will. Second sign, if you think, if you are in the line of hypocrisy, that means we are growing in a dead religion and not a relation. Third thing, verse 25, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcised. The third thing, outward evidence, external evidence or behavioral evidence. Some people, they will do everything according to the book. Listen, you're with me? They'll do everything according to the book. So, they'll come for fellowship, they'll give the tithes and offerings, they'll take part of the communion, they'll sing songs, they'll come for practice, they'll be, they'll serve as much as possible, they'll give as much as possible, they will try to do everything right. And they take part of all the activities, and it makes them feel like, okay, what I'm doing is right, what I'm doing is good, what I'm doing is enough. But let me tell you, this is just an outward evidence. Now how do we identify that we are working with acts or works and not of the spirit? You see, many of us, we do things because we are told to do things. We don't do it because we want to do it. If, 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 the, if Mr. President or any of the family parents or leaders, they come up to you and they tell, them, they tell you, hey, you should come to church early, help people set up, you know, be part of the team. That is, you are being told what you need to do. And sometimes that will take efforts, that will take habits, that will take dedication and sacrifice. But if someone who's already willing to join, they will just gladly come up. They would gladly make themselves present. The people who circumcised, had the circumcision, they thought that it was good, it was right. But I'm amazed that this book, this writer says, if you break the law, your circumcision stands void. Let's replace that circumcision with a few things in, in our lives, okay? Today, I, I don't think Circumcision is so active amongst us, but some of the things are, okay? If we are saying, if we think that I am baptized, so I am a Christian, that is a big mistake. Why? Because baptism is according to the obedience of God. But baptism is not an approval of Christianity. It is obedience. We can say that, hey, I am baptized, so I am going to go to heaven. big problem. If I'm baptized and I live in an unrepented and untransformed sinful life, 
Will my baptism still lead me to heaven? Think about it. If I'm baptized and I keep sinning, I keep lying, I keep saying ill thoughts, I have, have ill thoughts about someone, I'm living in unforgiveness, I'm living in jealousy, I'm living in pride, is my baptism going to help me? Is it? Baptism is obedience, true. But there should be a transformation in our lives, there should be a transformation in our hearts. If you think that doing this is going to assure my place in heaven, we are in a big lump. Okay? I am baptized, but if I live a sinful and unrepented life, my baptism stands zero. It's of no use. Secondly, just because I'm a member of the church, I will be in heaven. That's a big problem. You're a member of the church. Good. But is your heart the member of God's kingdom? We can be the members of PSU. We can be the members of the respective churches back at home. <clears throat> but that doesn't assure that our lives are approved in a godly manner. <clears throat> Not everyone whose name is in the uh, PSU uh, WhatsApp group. God's not going to look at it and say that, hey, okay, they are part of the PSU group, let them in. That's not, that's not how heaven works. They're not going to scroll, okay, I have these names here. They're not going to say, hey, your name is not here. But which book will he refer to when he scrolls down your name? The book of life, not the WhatsApp groups, not the NGO groups, not the Instagram followers account. All those things are the outward evidence, but the actual evidence if is our name is written in the book of life. You and I, if our motivation, if our purpose of coming to church is just so that we can be in heaven, we are messed up. The motivation of coming to church is because we are in heaven, we will unite and we will worship God. Not so that I want to go to heaven so I will come to church. No. You come to church because you are going to heaven. You come to church because you want to celebrate Jesus. Not because you want favors from Him. Celebrate Jesus for who He is. Secondly, thirdly, I have been raised a Christian. I have been born in a Christian family. That does not approve that you're a Christian. Right? My dad is a pastor. Right? I'm born in a Christian family. I was raised in a Christian family. But what if I was now not a pastor and now I was a murderer? Just because my dad is a pastor, would heaven say that, okay, you're a son of the pastor, get in? What if I was a liar? What if I was into sexual immorality? Would he say, okay, just because you're a pastor, Roy's son, come on in. Christian household gives you the leading steps to be closer to God. But just because you were born and raised in a Christian family doesn't mean that you are safe. You have to fight for your faith. You have to make sure that the word of God is the foundation of your heart. 
You have to make sure that God's fear is in your thoughts. It's in your life. You have to make sure that God is your utmost priority and nothing else. These things will be taught to you by your parents, maybe. These things will be taught to you by your leaders, maybe. But these things will have to be exercised by you individually. Too many of us, we are taking our Christian family for granted, saying, hey, I'm born in a Christian family, so I'm fine. No, you're not. You have to stand for your faith. If, if at all, any of you would be made to stand up and have a conversation with Jesus about, about certain topics, would you be able to speak to him? Let me give you an example. How many of you remember Jesus spent some time fasting? Remember? Then he had the battle, right? Three questions. What did Jesus answer with? What did Jesus answer with? The scriptures, right? There were, those were all actual battles. Those were all actual conversations. Jesus didn't say anything else. He didn't form another statement. He used what was already given in the scriptures. How well versed are you with the scriptures to use it when you face a battle? How well versed are, are our family members when we face a battle, we use scriptures rather than ooh, ah, and all the tears and everything. It's okay. Do cry, do pray, do intercede, but use the scriptures. And to use the scriptures, you'll have to know the scriptures. To know the scriptures, you'll have to spend time with the scriptures. To spend time with the scriptures, you'll have to get out of the religious mentality of saying, hey, I have a 30-minute devotion in the morning, a 30-minute devotion in the evening, and I'm done. No, you're not. Why do leaders and pastors and ministers, they have, they have so much knowledge about God's word? Do you think they just spend 30 minutes in the morning and evening like we do? They must be spending hours and days and nights cramming on it, praying about it, kneeling down and trying to memorize it, trying to understand it, trying to make it presentable for the church. Now, I know many of us won't want to be a pastor or minister. But you're still a believer. And a believer should have God's word in their hearts. A believer should have God's word in their thoughts. Not just Jeremiah 29, 11 and say that I know God is going to bless me. Not just Philippians 4, 13 and say that God, I can do all things with Christ who strengthens me. If you do believe it, then start doing all the things that you're avoiding. Why just use it for blessings and not take it to transform your life? I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. So I'm going to show up for every prayer and I'm going to be faithful to God. Why not use it for that? I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. So I'm going to avoid that relationship. I'm going to get out of that toxic thoughts and I'm going to make my thoughts a better place for pleasing God. Why not use it for that? I can do all things with Christ who strengthens me. So why not so sacrificially sow your offerings and sow your time into the ministry, sow your time into the place of God. Why not use that verse for that? But all we want to use it for our gain. Misused. But even if you're misusing, use it in a way that your life is transformed. And lastly, in the, in the uh, marks of a dead religion, I have been active. Now, this is for the certain group of people who are very active in ministry. Yeah. Just because you're active doesn't mean that your heart is right with God. 
Let me clarify all those things. Many of us will be occupied with a lot of things to do. Right? There will be, I'm active in the worship team, I'm active with the outreach, I'm active with evangelism, I'm active with intercession, I'm in this group, in that group, in every group. But is your busyness proving that you are a Christian? Or is your business proving that you are a religious freak? What is the big difference between a Christian and a religious freak? Christians will love to serve God and people. Religious freaks will continue doing the same thing over and over and over and over and they will have they will see no difference or no no transformation in and around them. They will just keep doing things because they have to or they want to do things. Is there a purpose behind what you do? I, when you come to intercession, when you come for prayers, when you come for the family meetings, do you actually come up with faith and say, today I'm believing God is going to do something? Or you just show up because I have to show up. It's Tuesday. People are posting in the group, so I have to go there. Or people will ask me and I have to answer, so I don't want to answer them, so I'll just go. Or will you actually show up saying that, and I want to share something, or I want to receive something, or I just want to be with people of God. Are your actions letting you be so busy that you are failing to focus on your relationship with God? Is your relation with God actually true? Let's read Luke 18, verse 9. The book of Luke 18. He also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despised others. So some of us we are so full of ourselves that we think that we are the righteous ones and all the others are worthless. So people like this existed back then, and people like this exist today. Jesus doesn't want us to be part of this group, who think they are good, who think what they are doing is good, and they think that I am righteous because of what I am doing. And all of the others, man, they, they never show up. We are always complaining about one another. How about we start spending and sowing our life into that person? so that they may be transformed in the likeness of Christ. If you know someone is not showing up, if you know that they are not able to overcome, how about extend them a helping hand and join them in their battles? But nobody got time for that. All we can do is complain, pinpoint, and do things. These are some of the traits of, person, of a person who is walking in a religious mindset. Okay, dead religion. Now, back to the book of Romans chapter 2. Uh, we look into the marks of a person in a relationship with God. Okay? The very first thing in verse uh, 27, Romans 2 27, it says, And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are transgressor of the law? You see, a person who is truly in a relationship with God, their lives, their hearts will be transformed. Okay? 
What does a transformed heart do? A transformed heart will always seek to please God and not men. Okay? Ezekiel chapter 36, 20, 25 to 28. Ezekiel 36, 25 to 28. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. 26, 27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You want to know what transformation is? Transformation is getting rid of solid, stony heart and having a heart that actually feels the heart of God. What does the heart of God feel? Have, have you ever felt someone's pain? Ever, ever had that feeling? When someone near and dear to you goes through a difficult season, difficult days, you actually feel for them. They are crying, you start crying. They are celebrating, you start celebrating. Why? Because there's some sort of connection. Now, do you have that connection with the Holy Spirit? Where if he's grieving because of certain habits of our lives or someone else's life, you grieve too. Because certain habits do grieve the heart of God. Certain relations, certain addictions, certain lifestyles, they displease God. If man can feel pain, if man can feel hurt by maybe let's say 10 people coming, coming against them, can you try to fathom the pain of the heart of God when hundreds and thousands of people are just displeasing him over and over again? Would you be okay if your father was feeling hurt? Would you be okay if your mother or your brother or your sister were grieving and crying by themselves at the night? Would you be okay ever? Then why are we okay by making God upset with our lives? Then why are we okay by thinking that He's fine, He's a gracious God. He's a gracious God, but He does feel. He does feel the pain. He does go through a brokenness. He knows what it feels like to be hurt by their own children. The children that he sacrificed for. The children that he, he put everything out for. But he still says, I will give you a new heart. Dear children, salvation is not joining a church. It is not being known by a denomination. It is not filling up a response sheet and being part of a family or a WhatsApp group. Salvation is when you enter into personal relationship with the Father and you experience a change of your life. When you say, Lord, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, do you actually believe that He is your Lord, not just your Savior? What does Lordship mean? Go Google that when you go back home. 
or in the organs. What does lordship mean? And if you find out what lordship means, now use that example or use that definition with your relationship with Christ. If lordship means this, then I, am I actually allowing Jesus to be my Lord? Okay? Let's, let's get rid of that mask as well. Right? So, anyone who says that you are in love with God, your life will be transformed. What does transformation do? Transformation will help you overcome habits that was not easily overcome. Transformation will help you purify your thoughts. Transformation will, will show that you are more loving, more passionate, more forgiving, more caring, doing everything that Jesus would have, but even more. You will be called to forgive. You will be called to be gracious. You will be called to sacrificial. You will be called to do what Jesus would have done. Not just that, you will be told to do greater things. Because he said you will. So if he, he had 12 disciples, you and I, we ought to have 13 or 14 at least. If he healed 30 people, you and I, we should be vessels who would at least do more than 30. If he fed the 5,000, feed more than the 5,000. If he forgave everyone, we can at least forgive someone. Why? Because that's what a transformed heart is. You, you notice, God is doing all the transformation process. But to have a transformation process, you need to be available and submit. When you go to a doctor, whether it's for an operation, you do know that doctors, they sign a form from you. Know that? There are certain operations in which they make you show that you sign a form if something goes wrong. Well, we tried our best. It's in the patient's hands then whether they want to go forward with the operation or the cure or they don't. Right? He's wanting to do it. Are you letting him do it? He's wanting to get rid of that stony heart. Are you letting him get rid of it? He's wanting to give you a brand new heart with brand new thoughts, with brand new mindset. Are you letting him do it? The question is not if he wants to, the question is if you're allowing him to. If you're born again, your thoughts will be new and it won't be, I'll think about it, it will be, I know I have to do it. You won't say, I'll I, I think about forgiving him, no. You know that it is in the scriptures, so I have to forgive them. Secondly, you will be purified by the Holy Spirit. Verse 29, Romans chapter 2, verse 29. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. Circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, and whose praise is not from men, but from God. Let's also read Romans 8, verse 9. Before... We complete this. Romans 8, 9. But you are not in the flesh. I like that. You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the spirit of God, he is not. He is not whose? His. How many of you are here in flesh right now? 
everyone in flesh. Right? We are fleshly present. But it says, but the Spirit of God is in you. So if the Spirit of God is in you, we are no longer acting out of flesh. We're acting out of spirit. Now let me ask you something. So I can just give you a brief idea. What do you think the Spirit of God wants you to do? Will the Spirit of God want to hurt God or want to please God? So if we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, what would our actions be like? Hurting God or pleasing God? What do you think the Spirit of God would want to do? Would he help people draw closer to God or push people away from God? Even if that means forgiving them, even if that means uh, taking them in as your own friend again, even if that means bringing them another cup of uh, water, sacrificing maybe your own glass of water. If anything that draws people to God is what Holy Spirit would do, and if you and I have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we ought to do the same. We cannot choose what we should be doing. The one who chooses is the Holy Spirit. And if he says we are to forgive, we must forgive. If he says we have to get rid of this, we have to get rid of this. If he says you have to move out of that relation, you have to move out of There is no in-between with the Holy Spirit. You are either in or you are out. Stop walking in flesh, please. And then put on the tag that I am baptized by the Holy Spirit. If you are truly baptized by the Holy Spirit, let the Spirit prove it, not the flesh. Let your actions, let your thoughts, let your words prove it. You don't have to come up and say that, hey, I'm baptized, hey, I'm saved, hey, I have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Everyone has the gift of the Holy Spirit. But how we allow Him to lead us, that is a big question. And lastly, in the same verse, 29, the last passage, the last sentence says, Whose praise is not from men, but from God. That is the overall topic. These people who are truly committed to God or have an intense relationship with God, they will be God-pleasers and not men-pleasers. What do men-pleasers do? Anything to hear appreciation from people. You did a good job singing. You did a good job coming up front. You did a good job. Yes, appreciate each other. But make sure that you're not living for that appreciation. Don't do things just so that people can see you and say, hey, they actually did a good job. If you're leading worship, do it because you want to please God and not someone appreciating your music or your works. If you are sharing the scriptures, make sure that it is because you want to please God and not someone coming up and say, hey, your wisdom is so great or you have such intense knowledge of the word of God. Don't track upon that. The entire motivation or the entire purpose of it will be flawed if you're doing things because you want to grab attention and not doing things because you love God. There's a big disillusion where people think that what I'm doing is to please God, but deep down rooted is the desire that people will say good job. They will do whatever it takes to make sure that people appreciate them on and off. Galatians 1.10, Apostle Paul says, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? 
one or the other am I trying to please men if I was still trying to please men I would not be the servant of Christ so here's your choice my dear church you can walk away from this place as a religious Christian another Sunday another week or you can walk out of this place as a relational Christian completely transformed and surrendered to the desires of God you can come to this service again next Sunday without a transformed heart and you will go back again or you will come the next Sunday with a transformed heart and your actions and your joy in the Lord will be abounding would you be okay if you're just working for God whereas you should have been enjoying the work of God we're busy. We are occupied. We are stagnant with things. This is what should be happening, is what we feel. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is life, there is joy. Right? In the presence of the Lord, there is abundance of joy. How good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together. So do you celebrate the very thought of coming to church or gathering together? Or do you dread it and just do it because you have to? Think about it for a minute. If all the work was taken away from you, would you still choose to serve God? Would you find opportunities to please God? Or would you come up and say, hey, I don't have any position, I don't have a task, I don't have a title, what am I supposed to do? Please God. I cannot sing well, still you can please God. I don't know how to pray, ask the Holy Spirit to help you pray and then please God. I don't know the scriptures, then spend time in it and then start pleasing God. You and I, we are not meant to be people pleasers. I'm doing this over and over again because I want you to know it is enough. What would you gain if the entire world was pleased by you but God was displeased? What would you gain? Now what would you lose if God was pleased by you and the entire world was displeased by you? What would you lose? Would you lose anything? Would you lose anything? Do you remember Matthew 6.33? How many of you remember that? What is it? Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. And it says all these things shall be added unto you. So if God is pleased with me, I have nothing to lose. But if the world is pleased with me and God is not, I've already lost everything. Did you get that now? So here we are trying to win attention of people, win favor of people, getting on the good grounds, getting on the favorable sides. What for? What would you do if God stands against you? Who's going to save you? I've said this before, right? If the people come against you, you can pray to God and say, Lord, help me, save me. And he will. But who would you pray to if God comes against you and say, you're done? Who are, going to, who are you going to pray to them? Who's going to hear your prayers? Who's going to answer to it? We can start walking towards a destination. But that doesn't mean we will reach the destination. 
The only destination that we are sure of reaching is walking in faith and reaching his destination. I can start a lot of things. I can start my work, I can start my business and sacrifice God and his ministry completely. I can say that for the next two years, I'm not going to show up for any family meetings. I have to focus on my business. What if God says, okay, I'm going to shut down your life tonight itself? I planned two years, God limited down to one night. What am I going to say about in heaven? Will I go up to God and say, you cheated on me. You should have told me my life was so short. Excuse me? Am I God or you? The one who gives you has the right to take away. The one who gives you has the right to give you as much he wants to. We cannot demand or command him to do or give us anything. By grace you have been saved through faith. Don't demand it. Don't command him. Come before humbly. Come before humbly to the throne of grace. Take all your aggression out on the enemy, not on God. Humbly you will seek me and you will find me, not aggressively. When, when I call, you will listen, of course. But when he calls, do you listen? Lord, I say you have to do this. But he's already said so many things to you. Do you do it? A lot of hypocrisy. A lot of scam. A lot of cultural background. A lot of religious background. And that needs to go. The church of God should be alive and powerful. Not a working or a business house. This is not a place where people come and feel good. This is a place where people come because God has made them good. By coming here, you're not going to be good. You come here because your God is good and he's with you. He's making you good for his glory. All these thinking. Young ones, we need to change. And I know many of you are here and... Maybe after the service, if you have a conversation, we won't even recall what we thought. Because that's sometimes how it goes. But if you're paying attention, I humbly request you, take your relationship with God seriously. You want to know what enjoyment means? How many of you have your phones with you? You have your phones? When you are tired, when you are bored, when you have nothing to do, what do you do? What? Instagram? Okay. Reels? Sure. Send a text to someone who's always, who you always talk to? Of course. What? WhatsApp statuses? Absolutely. Those things are another nightmare. Back to back, it never ends. <laughs> but you see, we are not forced to do things. We enjoy, like, keep on scrolling. We enjoy, keep on chatting. I can talk to my friend for the entire night. That's enjoying a relationship. That's enjoying something. We enjoy the content that's provided. Now if we swap that with God, 
If you swap that with reading the scriptures, if you swap that with praying, if you swap that with praise and worship, would you be able to say that you actually enjoy worshiping God? Would you be able to say that I actually enjoy reading the scriptures? Would you be able to say that I actually enjoy interceding? I actually enjoy praying to God? Or would it be, uh, it's, it's, too, it's too tiring? Or, or I, I'll pray tomorrow, I, I don't feel like praying today. Why? Because that's a religious mindset. You and I feel tired every day, but we still talk to someone. We still maybe spend two or three hours scrolling on Instagram. We still spend a lot of time maybe watching a Netflix show or movies. Our tiredness doesn't take that away from us. And why does it take away the nation of confidence? Is that how Christians are supposed to be? Who would be convenient and approach God out of their convenience? Or committed and approach God in their commitment. Back to verse 24. What did the writer say? Because of you. Let us not be the people who push people away from coming closer to God. There will be instances where someone will come up to us we have stories and and, and n number of testimonies of people of how lives were transformed. But then there are also stories of people who said that just because of their lifestyle, I don't feel like it anymore. They're good in church, but throughout the week, I know how they talk. I know what they do. I know who they hang out with. I've seen them in places that you shouldn't be. Church, get rid of the mask. Be true to God and then be true to His people. You don't have to put up a show, but you have to give your life as a living sacrifice so that He may be pleased. If you think that you are good enough by yourself, it's time to take a hard look at the scriptures and realize we are not good by ourselves. Read this entire scripture together once you go back. And I challenge you. I challenge you to take up a personal evaluation and see if I'm actually, if I'm actually true to God. Or am I taking my title or my position as an excuse or proof that I'm close to God? Remember in the book of Revelation, Jesus said, chapter 3, I know your works, but I also know that you're dead. I know you're known for good works, I know you have a good reputation, but to me, you're dead. I know you sing well, Georgie, I know you preach well, but to me, you're dead. Why? But I've done so many things. I've helped, I've, I've helped these people. I've preached so many times. I've served so many people. I've, I've taken care of so many youth. What, what's wrong with me, God? So you did everything right, but you lost one thing. That was our relationship. Heaven has already sacrificed enough. 
Stop sacrificing him again and again. Understood? Father has sacrificed enough. You don't have to sacrifice him again. In heaven cries out of his goodness, of his holiness. They tremble when God walks up in front of them. He is here. Even if there's two or three people actually coming with faith, believing that God is here, I want you to know He is here. But now the serious question is, is He pleased? Is He pleased with each one of us sitting here? We have a fixed place, right? You won't change a seat. But will you allow God to change your heart? You want to sit where you are? Sit where you are. But don't stay stagnant with your relationship with God. Don't walk away from your relationship with God. You started well. What happened? You started well. Why not continue? Why not grow? This hall or these group of people, you can make impact in thousands upon thousands. But all we do is still wait for someone to come and make an impact. The one who can make an impact is already with you. The gift of the Holy Spirit is with you. The scriptures are in your hand. But the problem is the scriptures are still in our hands and not in our hearts. And we are not living it out. The scriptures are not complicated. It's our heart. Scripture tells us forgive. It's simple. But our heart says it's difficult. Is it more difficult than the Heavenly Father forgiving us 3,895 times in the last month? But, but why? They don't deserve forgiveness, did we? They don't deserve love, did we? How can God use them? Just like He used you. You were no good. I was no good. I was battling my own depression at the age of 18. I was, a, I was a gone case. I was a dead case back then. I had thoughts of putting myself off. I had thoughts of running away. Even said that I don't want to serve God anymore. All these things happened. But one night, things changed. Now, if the God who can use an anxious, a depressed, uh, a gone crazy and runaway person, I can tell you we can do the same with each one of you seated here. Now imagine this, I'm standing in front of you, maybe 200 or 150 people. Now if each one of you found your own 200, 300 people, can you imagine the turnover in this place? But for every good work, there has to be sacrifice. You cannot expect, expect the crown of life or the crown of heaven without carrying the cross of this earth. You have to bear the pain. We all want healing, but no one wants to suffer. We all want blessings, but no one wants to work. We all want titles and positions, but no one wants to put in the effort in obedience and surrender. We all, in, we all come in like rock stars. Good. Dress sharp, absolutely. But make sure you're well dressed in the righteousness of God. 
Okay? Enjoy what God gives you, but not more than enjoying your time with God. Leaders, I humbly request you, don't look down on anyone. Okay? Saul was one of the persons who was looked down, looked down by every minister in the New Testament. But look what do we have here. Majority of the New Testament is a letter by the same persecutor who now is one of the greatest pastors that ever lived. Don't, don't ever think God cannot use them. Always believe God can. He can turn around the stony heart, a stiff naked life, into a bold and a profound disciple for God. And that starts with you. For all and everyone who is here with a religious mentality, do you want to change? If you do, I know we do this every Sunday, and we'll keep doing this every Sunday, till things change. I want you to hold yourself accountable to what God has already given you. I want, yourself, I want you to hold yourself accountable with one another. Feel free to question one another, but in grace. Okay? Ask them, did you read the scriptures today? No? Why not? What's stopping you? Come, let's read together. Did you pray today? No? Why not? What's stopping you? Let's do it. Are you coming? No? Okay, I will come and meet you. Hey. If the people that wanted to come or didn't feel like coming to where Jesus was, what would Jesus do? What did Jesus do? He went to them. So if someone's not showing up for your family meeting, go to them. If someone's not showing up for intercession, go to them. Sit with them. Have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Pray with them. A short prayer. I'm not telling you spend 30 minutes or one hour every day. 10, 15 minutes, meet up over a cup of coffee, meet over a cup of tea. Jesus hasn't had majority of his conversations over food. That's another excuse. Now everyone will always have food. We were celebrating eight years last week. There's going to be cake and donuts. But what about God was righteous and God was faithful eight years? Where was the joy for that? And there was, and that's how it should be. Celebrate food, celebrate birthdays, celebrate achievements, but celebrate God above it all. Right? Everything that God does is good, which means you are too in His righteousness. Please, please, this is not a sham. This is not a religious agenda. This is not a religious house. This is a godly house with godly people and godly hearts. Let's keep it that way. Not an entertainment hub where people enjoy music, but a worship ground where people kneel down and actually worship and cry and praise God. This is not a place where people sell their designs and do things just because they want to monetize it. This is a place where people support one another just as Jesus would have. I'm reminding you this question again. If Jesus physically comes here, what would he have to say about your life? 
let that question haunt you. So much so that you are you're brought down to your knees and surrender and you say, I'm sorry, Lord, but give me one more chance. Would you want your life to be presented today as a testimony for people? In a good way or a bad way? There will be. Make sure it's a good testimony. Be baptized. Be part of the church. Take part of the communion. But not out of a tradition, but out of a relation. Anyone willing to pray? Anyone seeing themselves in a difficult position right now? Close your eyes. Okay? I'm not going to tell you again, as we said, you're not here to see who's going to repent or not. You're, you're here to see if you are going to repent or not. Now, if you think it's you, I want you to get out of your comfort zones. Right? If you think you have to change, if you think you've done God wrong, if you realize that you have displeased the heart of God, quietly, Close your Bibles and stand up where you 